So today's daf is Samechvav in Yoma. We are on Samechvav Amud Aleph. We're at the Mishnah, which is probably about uh, a little bit more than halfway down the Amud, um, where everyone can see where the Mishnah is. Balo etzel seir mishdaleach. Kohen Gadol comes to seir mishdaleach. He places his two hands, he leans on it, and he says the confession. Now, the language that's written in this Mishnah is different than the previous Mishnah. This is what we actually say in our, according to Chachamim, meaning according to our uh, uh, way of reading, going from the least to the uh, most severe, because it's, we made mistake. Chatu avu is intentional, pashu is we rebelled, right? avu pashu the Jewish people has sinned in all these ways before you. And if you look on the side, the Bach corrects it because really in the versions of the Mishnayot, it says it according to Rebbe Meir, like it said before, where it says in the opposite order. It doesn't say Chat'u Avu Pash'u, but it says Avu Pash'u Chat'u. And that's really what it should say according to the Mishnayot. But probably what happened was somebody corrected it you know, to fit with what the accepted halacha was, and then it got printed in the Mishnah, the way that the correction was written in the margin, which is a lot of times how the typos happened in history in the manuscripts, is that a student would write, you know, a correction, or, oh, this isn't the, what, what the halacha was, or whatever, in the margin, and then it gets incorporated into the text. So really, it's supposed to follow Rabbi Meir and not say that order. But anyway, Anna Hashem, it says here, but really, according to Yerushalmi and the way that we have it, should say Anna Bashem. Um... And again, the order here of Chatu Avu Pashu would be switched according to Rabbi Meir in the Mishnah, really should be switched. This is corrected to reflect our current practice. So please, um, Please atone for the, the various sins that have been committed before you by the, by the Jewish people. And this is the Pasuk that on this day, Hashem is going to uh, purify you from all of your errors. Before Hashem, you shall be purified. You can see this is literally like right at our Avodat Yom Kippur, that we read on Yom Kippur is like literally lifted right out of the Mishnayot for the most part, right? When they would hear, when the people standing in the courtyard would hear the explicit name of Hashem, the Yud Kevavke name, actually pronounced according to its the way it's supposed that's written, then coming out of the mouth of the Kohen Gadol, they would go on their knees and bow and fall on their faces. This is the Mishnah that we have uh, according to the Rambam, according to many versions of the Mishnayot. The Gra points out that in the Yerushalmi's version, this is not in the Mishnah, this is actually in the Gemara, and so therefore he takes it out of the Mishnah, that's why there's a, he has, a, he has a, uh, an emendation on the side. But either way, everybody agrees that this is what was done. Um, every time the Kohen Gadol, even though this is the only time that it mentions them bowing, last time it just said that they say, but it, really they bowed every time they heard it. Then he would take the Seirah after saying the confession and he would give it to the person who was going to take it out. Really anybody could take the Seirah to its destination. It says, here some people take out the word Gedolim. The Kohanim made a system. They didn't allow ordinary Jews to take it, always the Kohen did it. So really, really According to the halacha, any person could be designated. The Torah says that a, a designated person would take it to the midbar, but it doesn't say kohen. Oh. Um, but the uh, but they would generally prefer to have kohen. Do it. Amar Rabbi Yosi, Masev Olicho, Arsela. 
that there was a time that Arsala, who was a certain individual, and actually, and I think it mentions where he was from, I think it was from Tsipori or something, um, that, uh, yeah, Mitsiporin, it says, right? So this person, who was a Vizuelaya, so he's just telling you a story, basically, yeah, even though it's true that, how, that generally they preferred to have Kohanim uh, do this uh, sending out of the Sinamish Taleach. Uh, they, it wasn't necessary because there were some cases where they actually had Israel do it and that was acceptable. The Kevish Asulo. Some say that was the only exception that is. Right, could be that that was a rare exception. I mean, they have, we have a saying, the exception proves the rule, you know, that shows you that in general they didn't have that, but there was one case at least where they had some guy that for whatever reason they gave it to him. Right? Huh? Probably paid a lot of money. Maybe he paid, maybe he was, maybe there was a big, good bidding war there and he won. Who knows? I don't think that that's how they did it back then, I mean, but I don't know. That each, if he was a person who was uh, destined to die that year? Or is no, I never heard that before. Never heard that before. But uh, E.T. was the Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> that's what I remember. Yeah. Then he was, then he was Mishtalech at the end because he never came back. He went back to his plant. You know, that's really old. Bekevesh Asulam of so um, they made a ramp exiting the, the, so that he wouldn't be on the ground level when he went with the Sir Mishalech because he had, because of the Babylonians, not the, seemingly not the hair of the person, but the hair of the goat. In other words, they would be like trying to get him out, like get our sins out of here. They would be pulling the hair of seemingly the goat out, like they'd be pulling at it, saying, get him out of here, get him out of here, we don't want him here. So they, because they would like, he would be harassed, he would be like, uh, he would be like attacked by the mob, you know, when he would be leaving. So they made a ramp so that they wouldn't be able to reach him so that he could go out with the Sir Mishalech in peace. Okay? It's going to talk about it in the Gemara, but it's just saying there were a group of like rowdy people that they, uh, you know, the rowdy people that they were, they were, they were, they were, they were, the concern was that I think, yeah, because they were removing the hair from the Sa'ir, but also just it's like, uh, unruly probably you know they didn't want that for practical reasons too the, so, 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 the right, so they wanted to get one last sin in before they went yeah in the vidui that he said on he didn't mention he didn't mention the Kohanim he only mentioned Israel which implies that what this contradicts Rabbi Yehuda we saw that Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda had a machloket whether the Sira Mishtaleah covers the Kohanim or it covers only everyone else besides the Kohanim. In other words, according to Rabbi Shimon, the bull that's brought for the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol covers all of their sins. So they don't need the Seher Mishalech. Seher Mishalech is only for Yisrael. Right? So that seems like that's this Mishnah because this Mishnah is saying that, uh, that it doesn't mention the uh, Kohanim and the Vidui that the Kohen Gadol says over the Seher Mishalech. So that implies that maybe, uh, maybe that's holding like uh, Rabbi Shimon that they weren't included in the Seher Mishalech. But the Gemara says, Abaye Amar Afilu Temar Rabbi Really, you could fit it even with Rabbi Yehuda. Why? Because you're not saying the Kohanim are not Jewish. In other words, when he says Amchabet Israel, it could include everybody. It doesn't have to. When I say Amchabet Israel, Mikadesh Israel Vazemanim. Anytime I say Israel, I mean all the Jews, including the Kohanim. So just because it doesn't mention the Kohanim explicitly, that just could be because with regard to the Siramishalech, everyone's equal. In other words, you could read it both ways. You could read it according to Rabbi Yehuda that it's including the Kohanim and everyone's equal. You could, you're, you're reading it as an exclusionary statement, not the Kohanim, but it doesn't say that. It only says all of Israel, so that could include the Kohanim as well. Okay, now it says, Misarol uh, that he gave it to the person who's going to take it out. Then on, Ish. Now this is the Pasuk Ish Iti, right? Biat Ish Iti Amidbar. He sends it out with a designated person. So Ish, that comes to tell you. Ayn is et, like time. He's designated in time. He has, he's appointed. He's appointed. 
Right, so ish lachshir tazar. That tells you it could be anybody, meaning not necessarily a kohen, because it doesn't say biad kohen iti. It says biad ish iti. So it could be any person who's designated for that uh, job, right? Iti shiye mezuman. It means that he has to be se- separated for this purpose from the day before. In other words, they they didn't choose it at the last minute. They chose him. It says muhan lechachmet mol. Iti means prepared, ready. Iti vafilo b'shabbat. Even on Shabbat, the Gemara is going to explain why do we need to know that filo b'shabbat. Um, that, right, um, uh, that it has to be um, at the designated time, even if, the, even if he's Tameh. Okay, so now we're going to go back over all of these things. How it's going to select, be selected? They it doesn't say how, I guess. It doesn't ever say how they selected him. But, uh, I don't think it was random, but they, they must have had some process. It doesn't mention it. There, no? I don't think there was a halachic like, rule for how they had to do it. I guess they could do it however they decided, however system. Well, that's for sure, but, yeah, that's ish. That's that's for sure not. But now it's saying, Why would you think that it couldn't just be any Israel and it has to be a Kohen? Because it says, it says, Kapara, there's a Kapara, maybe Kapara has to be done by Kohanim. So, Kamashmalan, there could be even a non-Kohen, it's coming to tell you. In other words, you might have thought because it's a part of the Kapara process, it has to be with the Kohen, but it doesn't. Now, itiva filo b'Shabbat. Lemayil, cheta, what halacha are you talking about a filo, even if it's on Shabbat? It's on Yom Kippur anyway, what's the difference? Amar Abshashet, lomar shemayach holeh, markivol ktefo. If the Sira Mishaleach was feeling sick that day, so it couldn't walk so well, it was having a bit, you know, so you're allowed to carry it on your shoulders, meaning you could, you could violate the rules of Shabbat of carrying this animal. Um, even on your shoulders in order to take it out if it's not able to walk. Meaning you could violate the rules of Shabbat is what it's saying. So, Kiman, whose opinion is that? Delaka Rabbi Natan, certainly not Rabbi Natan. Rabbi Natan, right? we, we know that the rule of Rabbi Natan we learned the Masechet Shabbat, Chayno Setatzmo, that a living creature, even a non-human living creature, is considered to carry itself. In other words, the Isur of, the Isur of carrying on Shabbat doesn't apply minhat Torah to a human being, first of all. And according to Rabbi Natan, also, right, that would include even an animal, meaning any living creature that you carry um, that you carry on Shabbat in Rishut HaRabim, it's only in Isur Zerabbanan. Since it could walk by itself, we say, Chay If it couldn't walk by itself at all, so then there's an argument about whether it's the right or the Rabbanan. It depends on how you interpret the rule of Chay what the reason behind the rule of Chay that a living thing is considered to carry itself. Depending on how you interpret it, you'll have a different conclusion about if it's not able to walk on its, on its own, whether that would be included in the prohibition or not. But now it's saying, Chay um, Rabbi Natan would say that uh, carrying the 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 Sirah Mishtalech on your shoulders, that's not a violation of Shabbat anyway, really, because it's uh, because it's only Nisur Durabanan, Rabbi Natan, Shani. Nope, even Rabbi Natan would agree, because since the animal is sick and can't walk on its own at all, so therefore, you, we're going to conclude that uh, it would be an Isur Deoraita to carry this Seir, and, the, and, and the, the Pasuk is telling you that on Shabbat you're allowed to carry the Seir on your shoulders if need be, right? So meaning if it were fully healthy and you carried it on your shoulders, it would only be an Isur Durabanan anyway, at worst, maybe not even, maybe it would, you know, but if, if it's, uh, you know, if it can't move itself, so then it would be Isur Deoraita normally. Now, I'm, I think it doesn't make it possible. Huh? No. No, apparently not. Now I'm not from. You say it's supposed to be identical to the. Yeah, but it had a bad day. It got sick in the morning after it got designated. It got nervous. It said, "Oh my God, you know, a psychological psychological shock." I don't know. Also, itty. 
Yeah, we don't know. On the, on the spot. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't know. It got that morning. It didn't feel well. Obviously, if it had been feeling unwell before, they wouldn't have used it. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, now the thing is, so Amar from Zotomeret Eruvotal Shabbat Vene Eruvotal Yom Kippurim. We actually had the same conclusion was drawn in Masechet Kretot. And rejected, but here the Gemara doesn't bring the rejection; just brings the statement that Afram said. From this, you see, that the idea of carrying an eruv, of course, that goes along with that, doesn't apply to uh, doesn't apply to Yom Kippur because why? Because it's saying afilu b'Shabbat. It's saying that you that the chidush is that you could do this on Shabbat, implying that on Yom Kippur itself, when it's not Shabbat, it wouldn't be a chidush. I mean, it wouldn't be an issue. To carry the Seir HaMishtalech on your back on Yom Kippur. It's only an issue to carry the Seir HaMishtalech on your back on Shabbat. So therefore you see that there is no Isur of carrying on Yom Kippur from the Torah. It's only Dorabanat. Okay, that's, that's what Raf Ram is saying. Now, in the Gemara Masechet Kretor, it rejects that and says, no, that's not necessarily true, because it could be that on Yom Kippur, when it's, since it's part of the Avodav Yom Kippur, of course you don't have to worry about carrying the Seir Mishtalecha, because it's part of the Avodav Yom Kippur. But maybe you would have thought that if it were Shabbat that particular year, you wouldn't be able to do it, because you're not just violating Yom Kippur, you're also violating Shabbat. In other words, when you're doing something that, uh, like, you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, you know, but you're not allowed to cook on Yom Tov, it falls on Shabbat. So, you know, so, um, in other words, Shabbat might create, well, that's different because there, you know, it's actually permitted. But he's saying that Yom Kippur, you're allowed, you're not allowed to carry in general, but maybe you're allowed to carry the Siyam Ishtaleach on Yom Kippur because it's part of the Avodav Yom Kippur, <coughs> right? Shabbat comes along, maybe it would be an additional restriction. Right? It, the Gemara doesn't bring that response here, but Raf, just Rafram's statement that it implies that somehow a Yom Kippur that falls on Shabbat is worse than a regular Yom Kippur, meaning it's more strict for the, for the bringing out of the Siyam Ishtaleach than a regular Yom Kippur, when in fact that might not even be the case. It might just be that you needed a separate pasuk to emphasize that even though it's Shabbat, we're not going to be any stricter. Now it says, that, and, and by the way, the reason why you might think that is because since Hotza'ah uh, carrying is considered melacha gru'ah, it's sort of a weaker kind of melacha. It's not the same as other, uh, other uh, you know, uh, other melachot and and, and it's learned from separate psukim, so you might have thought, yes, yeah, so you might have thought that maybe it wouldn't apply to Yom Kippur. Anyway, well, yeah, the Maase, we say that it's an Isur del right to carry on Yom Kippur, but he's saying that you might, that you could infer from this that at least according to some opinions, there's, uh, it's not an Isur del right because, yeah, that's what he's saying. Yes, it's the last one. 39, number 39. That's a whole other discussion, but yes, it's one of the 39 Melachot. Yeah. Yeah. Regularly walks, it's one of the third name of the Chod. He can carry a child who regularly walks and is not feeling. He well, here we have Eruv, so people don't even, no, you know, think. Right, so Chaino said that Smo says that, you know, that really it's an Isur de Rabbanan to carry, uh, to carry, right? So in certain cases, right, it wouldn't be a Doraita. If the kid can't, literally can't move, it would be different than if the child is, like, just having a hard time. Then it would, yeah. Then, yeah, it's the same as any other Melachan. Same as any other malacha. We learned many, like half of Masechet Shabbat is just about that malacha. Yeah. It's like, or maybe a third of the Masechet is just about that one. It yeah, it, it starts with it. It has an, a few more, but came later in the middle, towards the end. There's a lot of it. Um, uh, so, what's the application of a filo that the guy who takes out the same Shalach, he could be Tamei. So it says, Right, that if the person who's sending the nichnas tamela azarah mishalcho, in other words, the chidush is walking with the goat itself doesn't require is is not an issue that the guy is tamei. Who cares that he's tamei? He's not. First of all, he can't make the goat tamei because the goat is alive. 
You can't make an animal tummy when you're alive and when the animal's alive and he's just walking with it and uh, dragging it along. What's the problem that he's tame? It shouldn't matter. But the, the chidush is that he can go into the Beit HaMikdash and in other words, if he became tame that morning, uh, then he's allowed to go walk into the Beit HaMikdash and bring the, uh, bring the because the coin is supposed to hand it over to him. He's allowed to go into the Beit HaMikdash even though he's tame, he's allowed to retrieve it. Somebody else to come and somebody was tohor. Right, so the, you don't have to do that. That's a chidush. A chidush is it. Afilu tame. Right, Shalu at Rabbi Eliezer. They asked Rabbi Eliezer some questions. Chala if the Seyor uh, Mishalech gets sick, can you carry it on your shoulder? Now, we just said before that you can, but they asked Rabbi Eliezer, he said, Don't worry, the Seyor Mishalech can carry you and me together and he'll be okay. He's not going to need to ride on anyone's shoulder. Right? Right? says, What if the guy, the Ish Iti, is supposed to, uh, who's supposed to, you know, accompany the Seyor Mishalech, he's feeling sick that morning, can he appoint another Shaliach? So he said, Mao, he said, Don't worry, he's going to be fine. Right? According to Rashi, right, right, according to Rashi, what that means is, neither of us have to worry about that because we're not doing it, so don't worry about it. That's what Rashi says. Tosfot says that means, no, it means he's going to be stronger than either of us. The guy taking the Yisrael Mashtalech, he's not going to be sick, don't worry. He's not answering the question. Right. What about the Chafo Velomet? What if he pushes the Siyam Mishaleach, but the, he survives? The Siyam Mishaleach is very lucky and he, he survives the fall. Does he have to still kill the Siyam Mishaleach or say no? This obviously is a uh, lucky Siyam Mishaleach. says no. Can you So may all of the enemies of Hashem be destroyed. Meaning he's going to die. Don't worry. You're not going to have to go back and down and kill him. He's, he fell off of the, of the mountain. Hey, you don't worry about it. Right, so he, he, Rabbi Eliezer is not answering any questions here. So the rabbis answer the question. If the Siyam Mishaleach is sick, he can ride on the shoulders of the person who's taking him if the Ishiti, even though it would seem like the Ishiti has to be designated from the day before, and if he's not designated, it wouldn't be valid, he's actually allowed to designate another person if he's sick. Not only that, if he falls off the cliff and then um, and he and he survives because of some miracle, so then the uh, the the uh, Ishiti has to go and kill him. Now that's not really going to ever happen, but um, that that the, the, it's possible, uh-huh. unlikely. Uh-huh. Unlikely, but you know, sometimes you hear about these people that have these insane falls and they survive. I guess it could happen one in a million. But how do you kill it? Not sure. I guess he would have to kill him, probably beat, the the, probably again. bludgeon him again. I don't know. I don't know how he would do it. Shalom, Rabbi Eliezer. They asked Rabbi Eliezer some more questions. They didn't learn their uh, lesson that he doesn't feel like answering questions, so they uh, they kept asking more. Uh, they said, what is the status of this person regarding Olam Haba? Now, ra- ra- exactly. So Rashi, <laughs> Rashi gives two, que- two ex- answers. He says, number one, either they were asking about a particular individual. What do you think about this guy, Bob Smith, over here? Is he uh, going to go to Olam Haba? Or they might have been talking the way Tosfot interpreted. And the second interpretation of Rashi is actually they were asking about Shlomo ben David. Because since it says that Shlomo at the end of his days kind of uh, deviated from the path of Hashem and he was, uh, he was allowing his wives to worship idolatry and he did, you know, he did some bad things. Maybe he's not the Ben Olam Abba. They were asking about him. And Amale, he said, or Amalehem, he said to them, Lo shel tuni el al You must be asking me about somebody else. Right? So he changed the subject. So uh, she says, either they were asking about Bob Smith and he talked about uh, John Richards, somebody else, or they, uh, or they were just talking about random people in their generation, meaning he just changed the subject to another person, or they were asking about Shlomo, and he asked about Avsh- he changed it to Avshalom, meaning, oh, you must be talking about Avshalom. Then they would ask him about Avshalom, and he would change it back to Shlomo. In other words, he kept avoiding the question. Now, they asked him again, Mao, and what does the Bach have here? Um, 
Mahu lehatzil. I don't know. He has a long correction here. Actually, that's the alfarulah. Shaltuni al ploni. Mahu lehatzil akivsam min haari. Right. So what does it say here? So what does it say in our version? Mahu lehatzil roeh akivsam min haari. He just has. He just says mahu lehatzil akivsam min haari. What's the status of saving the sheep from the lion? Okay, and according to uh, the version that the Bach has, it says amalem lo shaltuni ella ala roeh that you've only asked me about. The uh, about the roe about the shepherd, and then can you save the shepherd from the lion? You must be asking me about the sheep. That's the version that the Bach has. What are we talking about? Right. So right. So the, so so yeah. So here Rashi um, doesn't really give us uh, uh, doesn't give us a, a specific individual that we should be thinking about, but the Tosafot does. Tosafot says that um, that it's talking about is talking about Batsheva from David. That was Bacheva, because we know that the, 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 the question is, was Bacheva actually Eshet Ish? Was she actually married to Uriah at the time that he took her? Because there's some Midrashi, right? Because one Midrashi says that really she was technically not halachically married to him. So that's why it's saying, if she was not really halachically, and that's what, if you look at the Tosafot, Maulatil Akivsam min Hari, so it says, because Rabbi Yonatan says in Masechet Kituvot, Kolo Yotzele Melchamed Be'david, Get Kritut Kotev Lishto, that everyone who went out to war wrote a get for his wife anyway, so really technically they weren't, uh, they weren't married. Um, so that he'd say, they're asking him, what do you think about that drasha? Do you think that Batsheva really was married? And therefore you, you should have saved her, meaning you should have intervened because it was a, a situation where she's be, a married woman is being taken and therefore you'd have to intervene. <laughs> or do we say no, that, uh, that, she, that she wasn't really married, right? So that would be the question. And then he said, ask me about the Ro'eh. What's the Ro'eh? The shepherd. That's Uriah, meaning Uriah, we say, was David justified in sending Uriah to the front lines to be killed? Because one way of reading it is that he's just a really bad guy and he's sending him out to be killed because he wants to hide what he did and take the wife of Uriah. On the other hand, we say it was Morid B'malchut since, he, since Uriah didn't follow instructions of David. Right, he, was, he, was, uh, he didn't follow the directions of David, so therefore he had the right to execute him as Morid Machot. He told him, go home to your wife. And he said, chas v'chalila that I would do that. I would never do that. And he slept on the bench. He wouldn't go home. He told him two times, go home to your wife. He refused to do it. So since he didn't follow the instructions, he said, you're Morid B'malchut. You're not following direct order of the... Uh, in any chain of command, you don't follow a direct order, you get in trouble. So, so that's one interpretation of why technically he was uh, he was uh, justified. So, Tosafot so, says, In other words, do we say that um, that since the uh, uh, the question is that uh, they say that the reason why he was the, the technical reason was because he called Yoav Adoni. He called Yoav my master in front of David instead of saying, which you wouldn't normally call anyone your master except for the king. He was disrespectful in the language is the way that they... I'm, if you read the text of the Tanakh without that particular nuance, you could see that he's not listening to David and you could just interpret it as Morid B'malchut and see why that would be a bad thing. But the Gemara picks up on the fact that he actually, the language of the use was inappropriate because you don't call someone a master in front of the king. You call them your master. When you're talking to the king, the only master is the king. So it says, You don't honor the student in front of the teacher, meaning in front of the master. You don't honor Yoav in front of David. So that was considered rude. So, so in other words, the point was they were asking him about these stories of Tanakh. What do you think about Batsheva? Was she really married? Was she not married? What do you think about the story of Yoav? I mean, of Uriah? Was he really Morid B'malchut? Was he not? And um, and Amar and Amar so each time he would change it. So they asked, 
אמר להם, לא שלטון יאללה על הכבשה. מה הוא רצה לרואה מנהרי? אמר להם, לא שלטון יאללה על הרואה. Uh, you know, what about, uh, he, he kept changing the subject around and refusing to answer. Uh, right, so, um, so when they would say, when they would ask about the, the shepherd, he would talk about the sheep. When they would ask about the sheep, he would ask about the uh, shepherd. So that's the, um, and that's why the Bach changes it around, because the way that it appears in our text, it sounds like they said to him, can you save the, uh, uh, the shepherd from the lion? And he said, you only asked me about the shepherd. So that doesn't really make sense, because he, they did just ask him about the shepherd. So in the Bach's correction, no, you asked me about the sheep. In other words, when they asked about the sheep, he changed it to the shepherd. When they asked about the shepherd, they asked to change about the sheep. According to the way that Tosfot is explaining it, it's saying, Bacheva. To, to Uriah, to Uriah, to whichever. He doesn't want to answer anything. We'll see why he's doing this in a second. Mamzer, uh, what about a Mamzer? If, the, if there's a Mamzer, does he inherit his parents since his, uh, they, he came from an illicit union? Should he inherit the money of the parents when they die? Right? Um, so he said to them, Mauli Abem, what about, uh, what about taking his brother's wife if his, uh, if, if his brother dies without, uh, without children? Should he, uh, should he marry his brother's wife? Right? Why don't you ask me that? And so they said, beto. Can you plaster your house? Nowadays, we know that you're supposed, not supposed to make fancy, uh, you're supposed to not make as fancy mentions because of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Can you plaster your house? He said, What about doing that with your, uh, with your, with your kever, with your, uh, with your grave site, you know, with your gravestone? What? To put limestone on it, you know, to, to, to plaster. Right. In other words, there's a, they're asking him a question. What, what's the status of a mamzer regarding inheritance? He says, what's the, mam, what's the status of a mamzer regarding yibu? They said, what's the status of, of uh, during the times of the, that the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed about, you know, making your ha- li- putting limestone on your house, making a fancy house? He said, what about making a fancy gravestone? He keeps changing the... He doesn't answer anything. Right, well, right. The, the, the question would be what, 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 what circumstances, because if the brother was also a mamzer, so then it would be possible, yeah. But anyway, um, not because he's trying to play with their minds. The rule was that Rabbi Eliezer would not say anything that he didn't hear directly from his teachers. This is the thing that we see Rabbi Eliezer always says. He would never answer halakha. That doesn't, so then how did he teach anything? How did he learn anything? Meaning they would teach and learn, but he wouldn't answer definitively. He wouldn't give a definitive answer to questions if he hadn't heard the definitive answer from his own so teachers. Okay. I guess so, but asking. Rabbi Eliezer was very, was humble about that. He felt that it would be too much for him to do that. Um, but that, that was a difference of opinion among the Chachamim. To what extent is, you know, Chidush and to what extent do you rely on, on, on the statements of previous generations? It was somewhat of a, you know, the rabbis had different views of that. Now, Shalai Shachachamat Rabbi Eliezer, this is a, this is a story about Rabbi Eliezer that, um, some people, uh, see it in a negative light. But a woman asked Rabbi Eliezer, a wise woman, there were many people participated in the Egel Azahav, and all of them were culpable for that. So, so why didn't they all get the same penalty? Because we see that there were actually three punishments that were meted out to the people who did the Egel Azahav. One was that they were killed by the sword, right? That which, because Moshe Rabbeinu said to Bnei Levi, right, put your, put your, uh, everyone should put, uh, should put their sword on their thing and, and go and, and kill whoever needs to be killed. That was number one. Number two was some people died, it says, Hashem, Vayigof Hashem at the Egel, 
right? That there was a magifa, there was some kind of a, a sickness people died from. And then there was also that Moshe ground up, he burnt the Egel Azav and he ground it up and he put it in the water and he made them drink it. And it says that it was like the Mesotah. In other words, anybody who participated in the oh, yeah. Egel that didn't, uh, you know, that wasn't convicted uh, legally would die from that. So the question is, what is the, uh, why were there three different mitot, right? Why are there three different mitot? So she asked him. He did not want to answer this either. But he gives a different reason. He says, The only wisdom of a woman is on the, is on the spinning wheel. You know, go back to doing something. Don't ask me any questions. Any woman that all wise women were, were weaving with their hands. You know, they were spinning with their hands for the, for the, for, for, for the uh, Mishkan. Don't, don't, don't quote this at home. Nowadays, forget that. Yeah, Rabbi Eliezer would be... Uh, really? Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's but that's Persian. That's that's okay. They go, well, Rabbi Eliezer. There's several stories about Rabbi Eliezer that uh, where he doesn't like to interact. He has sort of a negative view of women, and so they they always bring the the midrashim, the agadot about Rabbi Eliezer that he says a lot of comments that nowadays would be very politically incorrect. But even for even for that time, Rabbi Eliezer is really the only one that you see has a kind of negative attitude. A lot of other chachamim they talk, they answer questions, they you know they don't see that. So it's a the particular to Rabbi Eliezer that he's famous for that. The Rebbe Eliezer, yeah. So it's the Rebbe Eliezer. The yeah. I think so, yeah. It's the same Rebbe Eliezer. And the argument that yeah. the Seemingly it's the same one, yeah. I assume so, yeah. The Rebbe Eliezer has a lot of, a lot of statements that are uh, not so complimentary towards, towards the ladies. Uh, no, that's Rabbi Elazar by Rabbi Shimon. That's Rabbi Elazar, not Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Yeah, Rabbi Shobar Yochai. Yeah. That was the... That, he had Elazar, not Eliezer. Yeah, that's different. Some say that he did it because he did not think that you're allowed... Maybe. I'm just saying in general, he says a lot of comments that are more on a negative... on the negative but side towards you, ladies. How do you explain Bruria and all of that? Other exactly. Words, so well, that's the whole thing. That was his opinion, I guess. He thought that they were, that was a different shita. Yeah, different. He had a different opinion. Yeah, he was. That's understatement. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, so Itmar says as follows: Rav Levi. So they, they they actually discussed this question, so, and in a way, you could see that the Gemara is kind of you know pushing back on that because then the Gemara says actually the lady has to go to question because we need to know the answer. Why were there three different mitot for the for the Egel Azahav? He didn't want to answer, but uh, but they would they asked the same question. So, uh, so Rav and Levi had a discussion themselves about this, and they had. Two different answers. If the person actually sacrificed the Egel Azav or burnt incense, so then besaif, so then that would actually be a, a violation that's Chayav Mita. Those people were killed by the sword. The one who hugged and kissed it but didn't actually worship it would die. The Mita means that they would die with the Magefa. When God brought the uh, plague that was on those people. In other words, they should, right. And Samach Bilvavo, the person who just said, Wow, this is such a nice Egelaz, what a nice event. I'm so glad that I came you know, to this Egelazahav party here. So that, that person, Samach Bilibo, that's why that person would be judged by the drinking of the waters that caused the internal sickness. Right, but meaning that that's when the, when drinking, meaning since it was hidden, because he didn't, didn't do any outward action of like any. Any adoration of the uh, Egel Azav, but he thought in his mind, wow, this is such a nice thing. So therefore, that would happen. It would be an internal punishment. The alternative, now we don't know which one said, which one was Rav and which one was Levi, but we know they had three different categories to justify the three different death penalties, right? So the first one was, 
an actual, you know, uh, capital crime of Avodah Zorah, kissing and hugging, which is also Asur, but not a capital crime. So that was Mitabide Shamaim. And then the one that was done by the waters, which was when it was internal. So that's something that you wouldn't even see on the outside. The other one said, no, if there were witnesses and, and, and warning, so then like any other judicial procedure, that person would be Chayav Mita. If there was witnesses and no warning, then they would die without, but Bidei Shamaim, meaning the court couldn't execute them with the sword, but they, but the fact that they died would be understood that it was because Egel Azav, because they did it and there were witnesses to it, right? If there were no witnesses and no warning, so then Badrukan, meaning it was only between them and Hashem, nobody knew, so then when they drank those waters, that would cause their death because it was something that was a hidden violation. So it's similar. It's a similar, no, I don't think so, but because that was a specific plague brought from Hashem. But it's, it's that in both cases, they're saying that the waters basically purged the people that their sin was secret, you know, and, and, and you know, wasn't, was unknown. Rav Yehuda said that the uh, the the, the uh, Shevet Levi never worshipped idolatry, and in fact, the Rambam even brings this in the Mishnah Torah. It says Shevet Levi never um, never worshipped idolatry, and according to the other version of Am Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, um, and. Uh, uh, we know that Moshe stood up and he said, right? It says that Moshe said, who, who is with me uh, for Hashem? And, uh, and all of the Bnei Levi came, which shows you that none of them were involved. Even though it doesn't quote the whole Pasuk, you can see Rashi had the whole Pasuk because he, he has called Bnei Levi, Shekulan that they were all included. So Ravina said over this little Dvar Torah, you know, he was saying, you know, I heard this, Rav Yudas and Shmuel, that the, uh, you know, Shevet Levi, they never worshipped idolatry. And Etivei Bnei Rav Papa Bar Abba Ravina, but the son of Rav Papa Bar Abba said to Ravina, how could you say that? It says in, the Vizota Bercha, when it's describing the praise of Shevet Levi, Haomer Lavivoli Molo Retiv. Right? It says that he, he, the person said, I didn't see my mother and my father. Right? Right, so it says he didn't know his brothers and he didn't know his children. So, so obviously that means that the Bnei Levi who were standing up for the honor of Hashem were killing their own family, meaning they didn't regard their own, their own familial ties when they did it. So obviously some members of their family, which are Bnei Levi, must also have been in, implicated in Cheta Egel. Okay, so the question, the answer is him, no, that could be. What does Aviv mean? Aviv, Avi Imomi Israel. Right? Echav, Echav me Imomi Israel. In other words, what it means is that you can be a Levi and you can have relatives that are not Levi, right? You can have your maternal side, maternal grandfather, right? The maternal maternal grandfather, brothers, because your mother was, had a previous marriage and you have, uh, you have brothers that are half-brothers that are not Levi. You, chil- you can have grandchildren, you could be a Levi and your, your, your daughter marries a Yisrael, and then you have grandchildren there. So that's what I mean. That, that's that's the interpretation. Uh, yeah, grandpa is one thing. Yeah, grandpa and grandchildren. Not brother. Right, not brother, not full brothers because they were Levi'im. Right, that's the, that's the uh, no, look, I, I have, I have on my, I have Kohanim in my family. I'm not a Kohan at all, but I, my father's mother's family, they're all Kohanim. My, you know, it's, it's so, you know, you can have that. I have a full side of my family, whole section of my family, all Kohanim. Like all my grandmother's, you know, brothers, my grandmother had a lot of siblings, and um, all and my, you know, my my grandmother that was Mashadi, she married a Kohen, had a lot of kids. 
all of them are Kohanim, obviously, but a lot of them they married Yisraeli, so I ended up not being uh, ended up not being a Kohen at all. But I have a lot of uncles that are Kohanim, and their kids are are Kohanim. So you could it's easy to imagine having half the family Kohanim, half the family not. So. In any case, that's the, uh, that's the interpretation of the pasuk that the rabbis give, but there's another interpretation of Chizkuni that Haomer Lavivu Limolo Oriktivet, is talking about how the Kohanim separate from Tum'ah. That they, it's talking about the Kohanim and how they don't go to, the re, to their, uh, that the Kohen Gadol doesn't even go to his, uh, to his, you know, his own parents' uh, funerals. Yeah, there's, there's another interpretation there. In any case, um, they made a ramp for him to escape from the paparazzi when he was going with the, uh, uh, with, with, with the they actually weren't Babylonians. They were actually Alexandrians, meaning they were Egyptians, Jewish Egyptians. But because, because they hated the Babylonians, they decided to call these people Babylonians. Right? They called these people Babylonians because they really didn't like what they were doing and they wanted to give them a mean name and since they hated Babylonians, they called them Babylonians. They said, ah, these Babylonians. It's like they called, my father called them Turk, Turk, Turkish people, right? The Persian, they said, Turk, Turk, right, right. Like they called everyone who's stupid, they call him that. Even if he's not, right? That's, what was it? So they, right, so they, that's, a, so they, it's not, a, it's not ethnic. It's using the term, they're, ah, these Babylonians, meaning that they're, derogatory. they're right, derogatory term because they hate the Babylonians. And Tanya, it says in the right, Rabbi Yudah Omer, Imayu, El Alexandrimayu. So Amal Rabbi Yossi is the same thing. He said they were actually Egyptians. Amal Rabbi Yossi, Tanuach Datcha, may your mind rest. Why? Dati, you made me feel better. Meaning because he was Babylonian, he said, oh, I'm so glad that, you know, it wasn't really Babylonian because I was embarrassed. Right, right, exactly. He didn't want to feel that he had that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He said, I didn't want to feel that I was, uh, I was being uh, besmirched. Now, Tolvit say, they would say, take it and go, take it and go. Tanama. Why is this goat hanging around here? We have many obligate, meaning we have many liabilities, many sins, and this goat is standing here. Get this goat out of here. We don't want to have these sins hanging around us. And they wanted the the Mishalech to leave as soon as possible. So, Bezrat Hashem, we will continue with this Mishnah tomorrow.